Joy. Bringing joy into a dark world. It was interesting when, um, when Roger was reading that reflection, um, and it's important to make that differential, isn't it, between joy and happiness. Because joy is a state of the soul. Joy is, is something that, that is unchanging. We're told to be joyful always. And for some people, that's a, that, that's a challenge. They say, well, you can't be joyful always. You just cannot. It'd be, it would be false. It would be fake. But it doesn't say be happy always. We're not told to be happy always. Because happiness is temporary. But joy is permanent. This morning, rather than talking about joy in the context of Christmas, which is fast approaching, we're going to begin by looking at <coughs> excuse me, at a psalm. A psalm which talks about joy. Psalm 126. Now this psalm is written, we think, by, well possibly by Ezra. Um, the, one, of the, one of the first um, prophets, one of the first to return to uh, Jerusalem from captivity. And it's a psalm that talks about joy. And it's a psalm from which we can learn a lot about joy. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Now, if we remind ourselves of the opening of Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. You see, Psalm 126 is written by people just returning from captivity. This was the Babylonian captivity. This was the, the captivity that, that many prophets had, had warned about. If we don't turn from our, our wicked ways, if we don't return to the teachings of the Lord, if we don't return to God, we're going to be taken into captivity. God has warned us. We've got to stop. We've got to turn back to him. And eventually, the Israelites were taken into captivity. They were, they were ransacked by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was left in ruins. It was burned. It was, it was a pile of rubble. The Babylonians were not pleasant people. The Babylonians were the, Babylon was the only army that the people of Nineveh, 
the Ninevites who, who Jonah fled from when he was instructed to go there and, and, and preach to them. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going there, you must be mad, no way. The Ninevites lived in fear of the Babylonians. The Babylonians, if you go to the British Museum, you can see um, uh, carvings, stone carvings of what they used to do to their enemies. And you can see on, there's a, a huge um, uh, stone wall lining, if you like, um, and you can actually see it being, it was carved out that it looks like, um, and I thought it was a picture of someone trying to rip, rip clothes off um, a, um, another person. It just looks like one person's pulling clothes off. And um, when I was at college, we had a, a tour by one of the lecturers of the British Museum. It's fascinating. And actually, he said, that's not someone trying to take someone else's clothes off. That's because the Babylonians were known for trying to... They used to pull the skins off their, um, the, the, their um, victims. They used to skin people alive. They were barbaric. They were absolutely horrific. And so, being taken into captivity by the Babylonians was no walk in the park. And so when we read Psalm 126, and when we bear in mind the context in which it was written, the experiences that these people had been through, you think, how can they, how can they talk of joy? They would have seen horrific things People doing things to other people that surely would, would take away take away any faith that you had. But it didn't. Because Ezra knew that when, just as, just as God had made the promise that if you don't turn back to me, you will pay the price. There was always, and then I will restore you. There was always the promise of restoration. So coming back to Jerusalem, when the Lord brought the captives back to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. This was, it would have been a dream. There would have been this, this promise whispered around from, from slave to slave, from captive to captive. One day God will restore us. One day God will bring us back. I know that this is awful. I know that we've lost our homes, our family, our, our, our children, our parents, our friends. I know we've seen these barbaric acts carried out. But God, God warned us. God warned us. But don't forget, God also promised. He will bring us through this. He will restore us. And so as, they, as the first wave of returning Israelites walk up the road and see the, ruin, the ruins of Jerusalem, the rubble sitting there, they saw the task ahead of them, the task of rebuilding the city. They knew it was going to be huge, but even so, they were no longer captives. They felt like they were dreaming. They didn't dare to believe that they had been brought back from captivity. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. This wasn't a temporary happiness. 
This was one of those moments that, that we all have from time to time when, when we look back at an experience and think, God brought me through that. There is no other explanation. There is no other explanation for, for why I've got through that experience or why I'm still here. Or maybe it's other people that we've seen, that we've been close to. And we think they, they, just, they were so close to, to, to ending their life. They were so close to ruining everything. And yet, through prayer and petitioning, they've been brought through. And sometimes we, we can look around us and we can see examples of this. And we too can almost feel like we're dreaming. You can go through something and think, I, I just cannot see a way out of this captivity. I cannot see a way out of this situation. But God always can. God always can bring us through. Other people notice. It was said among the nations, the nations surrounding Jerusalem, it was said the Lord has done great things for them. Other people looked and said, you were, you were the captives of the Babylonians. No one comes out alive. No one gets released from there. Ezra says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. See, sometimes to be reminded of, of, the, of the, the feeling of joy, we need to look back and remind ourselves what we've been through. We need to look back at the darkness in order to appreciate the light that we now live in. When other people looked, looked at the returning Israelites and said, the Lord has done great things for them. The Israelites paused and acknowledged the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. We cannot claim to have negotiated this return off our own back. This is God's work. This is the fulfilling of God's promise. God has honoured his promise. He said he would restore us and now we have been brought back. And we've been brought back to this pile of rubble because we've got to start again. We've got to start building again this city, this city of Zion, this city of God, this city in which God's temple will be restored. We need to start building again. We need to start clearing away the mess that we made last time. And we need to start building again for God. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that properly, but that is the Negev is, is a desert south of Jerusalem. And it's a barren wilderness. It's, it's, it's featureless. Nothing really grows there. And apparently the only, the only real features in the landscape are um, streams that have been cut over years and years and years by wind and rain. And they sit dry. Dry and dusty. They're not filled with water. Except for a very, very short time every year when rains come. And when those rains come, suddenly the whole landscape is transformed. In a very short space of time, it's green and lush. Animals and birds thrive. There's wildlife there that returns, that, that suddenly makes a home there until the rains go, the streams dry up. And no longer does it look lush and green, but instead it, it looks once again like a desert 
But every year, the Israelites would have seen this. They would have looked out across the the barren, dusty plains one week and then, after a week of rain, they would have seen the transformation that takes place when the rains come. And that's why in this psalm we read, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Sometimes we, we can get frustrated, can't we? But sometimes it's trying to, trying to get somebody to come along to church, trying to t- engage someone in conversation about faith, trying to introduce them to, to the love and grace of God. It can feel like we're shouting across an empty desert where nothing grows, where nothing is watered, nothing takes root. But we're called to be patient. We're called to be patient in those conversations, to keep going and going and going. When when I went in and did an assembly at a school recently, actually it's harvest time, um, I used the analogy of the Chinese bamboo plant. It comes from a tiny seed and it's planted in the ground and for five years it does nothing. You you can't even see a sprout. There is nothing for five years and then after five years as it, as it enters the sixth year in six weeks it grows more than 80 feet it just shoots up it's a staggering rate of growth but it takes patience to be a, a Chinese bamboo farmer because you plant, you plant something and for five years you have no return you have no harvest you have nothing to show for it but then suddenly, whoosh, suddenly you have, a, you have a more bamboo than you know what to do with. God can work like that sometimes. Other times, you, you, get the, you get the huge growth straight away. But sometimes it's like shouting out across a desert. And you think, why won't you engage? Why won't you understand? Why won't you at least, at least listen to what I'm saying? This can, Jesus can give you so much goodness. He can change your life. And nothing, nothing comes back from the barren desert. Because it's not about our timing. It's about God's timing. God is in control of all things. God was in control when the Babylonians were skinning alive some of the, the Israelite captives. If you've been an Israelite looking on thinking... Where where is God in this? God cannot be allowing this to happen. What is going on? It's very easy to be shaken. It's very easy to allow ourselves to be be sucked in by the the, the idea God's abandoned us. But Jesus said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God has never abandoned his people. God has never given up on any one of us. God has never shut the door and said, that's it, we're finished. Because that is not a God of love. That is not what God does. But, but, joy comes through suffering. Comes through knowing that when we are suffering, God is still there. Joy is the the security that in those times, even though we cannot understand what's going on, we cannot fathom why a God of love would, would allow certain things to happen to people. We cannot understand it, but we know the joy in us comes from knowing, the security of knowing that God is in this. It's not for me to understand it, it's for me to endure, and it's for me to stick by God, because God is sticking by me. 
even if I cannot understand it. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. When we, when we sow that seed in someone's life, often, often people come to faith as a result of suffering. Often people have to be at their lowest point. They think, well, I've tried everything else. I've tried the medication, I've tried the therapy, I've tried the drink. Well, this is it. The only thing left to try is your God. I'll give it a go. And out of that suffering, faith can come. And then people can be, can be built up and restored because God promises restoration. We can be restored, rebuilt, forgiven. And then we look back and we say, do you know what? When I was in captivity, when I was captive to drink, when I was captive to self-harm, when I was captive to, to that boss at work, when I was captive to those, that, that bitter feud in my family that I just could not forgive that person for what they'd done, when I was captive to that, I turned to God. And God, step by step, has carried me through. God restores, God releases. This is the power of the love of God. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. As those captives were, were released from Babylon, as they made the trek back to Jerusalem, they'd gone there terrified, not knowing whether their entire race would be wiped out, fearful of what lay before them. Oh, there would have been tears. There would have been weeping. As they left that city in chains, with it burning behind them, there would have been weeping. And so they returned with songs of joy. whatever we find ourselves captive to. Make no mistake, happiness doesn't release us from any sort of captivity. A short-term fix is a short-term fix. For so many people at Christmas time, they'll turn to entertainment. Firms will pay huge amounts of money to get entertainers into Christmas parties. Short-term happiness there's nothing wrong with that, it's good fun. But the next day, the life goes on. The happiness evaporates because it's a short-term fix. But joy can be found in that manger. Joy can be found in realising that that child was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world to save us to release us from any sort of captivity that we find ourselves in. That's the importance of Christmas. That's the power of Jesus Christ. We read in Luke's Gospel the account of the shepherds. And as I was preparing this week, I thought, I don't want to force, I don't want to force Advent in here because sometimes it just doesn't work trying to force a passage in because you feel it's the right time of year for it. But actually the shepherds receive the message from the angels, don't they? 
They are told, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Up until recently, I've always thought that the shepherds and the magi represented two ends of of the spectrum, if you like. You've got the educated, the wealthy, the powerful magi, and you've got the poor, stinky, outcast shepherds. I read a book recently that challenged me on that. It suggested that actually shepherds in that region at that time were often quite wealthy and that they would have been out protecting their flocks because their flocks were so, so valuable. Because shepherds traded with the temple. Lambs were taken for sacrifice. And when a lamb was born, they would take it and straight away, before, apparently before lambs uh, grow their, their fleece, um, if they, when they're wobbly on their legs, when they're first born, if they fall over or anything, it can actually affect the, uh, the, the it can uh, cause blemishes in the fleece as it grows, that grows through. The bruising of the skin is reflected in the, the wool that grows through, and I'd never read that before. But to avoid that happening, because if that happens, if there, if there was blemishes, then it wasn't pure. The temple wouldn't buy the lamb. And so they would wrap the lamb very tightly in cloths and they would lay it in the feeding trough so the mother could nuzzle it and stay near it and feed it, but it wouldn't be able to move out. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Shepherds have a very strong tradition in scripture. Shepherds are important. But shepherds, the reason that we talk about them being outcasts isn't because they were, they were filthy and smelly and spent all their time in the fields and were a little bit backward, which is sometimes the impression that we can give. They were actually they were outcasts because they were ritually unclean. Because in Leviticus, the law is quite clear that if you have been, if you've touched a body, a dead animal, you're unclean. You need to be, you need to be cleansed. At the same time, if you deal with the birthing process, you, you are unclean. Shepherds kept a constant supply of lambs. They were constantly involved in the process of delivering lambs. They were constantly unclean. They were also constantly dealing with death, with lambs that didn't make it, with sheep that got mauled by wild animals. They were constantly up to their armpits in in blood and other bits and pieces. It, It wasn't a particularly pleasant, wasn't a particularly clean profession. And so actually, they were outcasts because... They were always ritually unclean. When they went down to Bethlehem and when they found that child laying in that manger and when they saw that he was wrapped in the swaddling cloths and when they saw the way that he had been laid, to a a shepherd they would have understood this baby is being kept 
pure. This baby can be presented with no blemish. This baby has been, has been taken from, from its mother's womb and laid in a way that it is completely without, without blemish. This is perfect. This baby can be presented before God just in the same way as a, as a lamb that is without blemish can be presented to the temple. It will be fit for sacrifice. They would have recognised so many signs. The angel told them to look out for a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This will be a sign to you. So the shepherds went into that, into that room with those, surrounded by animals and the muck and the smell and, and they saw they saw this baby and they would have seen these signs and they would have recognised what was going on. Maybe we paint a slightly unfair picture of the shepherds, but because they recognised Jesus for who he was, because they recognised that baby, they recognised the signs, the, the wrapping, the placing in the manger, they recognised Jesus. They were filled with joy. They immediately went out and started telling people what they'd seen. They'd go and start spreading the word that, that this, this child, this saviour has been born. That's their reaction. Because this wasn't just a short-term fix. They didn't go out into the streets and say, oh, it's a lovely little baby, there's just been born, go and have a little look. They went out into the streets and said, this is a sign, angels have just told us, go and look, this, this is this is the baby, this is the saviour, the Messiah. This is the one that God's been promising us. The shepherds were the first to recognise who Jesus was. And this Christmas, this Advent series, we are called to be beacons of joy. The shepherds immediately went out and they were beacons of joy. They saw the light of the world laying in the manger and then they went and they shone that light into the darkness around them. They spread the truth that Jesus had come. It's our job now today to make sure that we, we go out and we introduce people to the joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. The joy that can only be found through a relationship with our God, our Heavenly Father, through the Holy Spirit that is in us and amongst us, empowering us to shine that security that we have inside us that says that no matter what we go through, we go through it with our God. And when we come out the other side, we too will look around us and feel as though we are dreaming. Because we look around us and we think, how, are we, how have we got through? And the answer is always, because God brought us through. The transforming power of our God is, is like no other power. It brings us joy that nothing else can provide. We can go out into the world knowing knowing that God is with us every step of the way. We can experience joy in all that we do. In every conversation, with every person, we can share joy. We can also share happiness. 
There's nothing wrong, wrong with that. We need to have fun at Christmas. I can't wait for the carol service next week. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. But when those people leave here, we want them to look back and say, you know, I really enjoyed that. But we also want them to look back and we want them to have seen joy in us. We want them to, to, to leave with the truth of Christmas ringing in their ears. We want them to leave knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of their lives as much as he's Lord of our lives. So let's remember. Let's remember that the world isn't full of darkness. There is darkness out there, but no total darkness is broken the second that a single light is lit. If this room was completely sealed up and was black as anything, the second that David lit that tiny match, it's not total darkness anymore because there is a light. So whatever we're going through, we know, we know there is always, always light. When we go out into the world, when we read headlines about atrocities that have taken place, about people dying in the the New Zealand um, uh, volcano eruption, people dying on London Bridge um, just a couple of weeks ago, when when we read these things, we think, oh, that's terrible. We know, we know that darkness doesn't prevail. There is light. There is light across the world. There is a light of the world. And each one, every one of us, We carry that light with us. We take it and we share it with those that we meet. We spread the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. He loves us. He restores us. He carries us through whatever we find ourselves going through. As Christians, we cannot always be happy, but we must always feel and know joy because that is a result of feeling and knowing God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that we can, we can go back to psalms like this one. We can remember that, that you are a God who keeps promises. You're a God who, who is always happy to accept us for who we are. And although we, we quite rightly... we. We, we read back and see how there were times of suffering for your people. You always promise restoration at the end. And you always honour your promises. And so, Father, in this time of Advent, we give thanks for the joy of knowing you. And we give thanks also for the joy that we know that one day Jesus will return. That at the moment we are, we are preparing We're preparing for that return. We might not know when it's going to happen, but we know, Lord, that one day, one day Jesus will return. We'll make this world perfect. We'll make us perfect. We'll purify us. We'll take away our sins so that we can be with you in heaven for eternity. Father, thank you for the joy of Christmas but thank you more for the joy of knowing that you love us, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that we are your children. You are our Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.